0: such a beautiful psalm, if you think about it. I heard a little story this past trip when I visited Reverend Brian Cochran. He was in the the Trinity Psalter Hymnal Committee. And he gave us a little story that how this beautiful uh, melody with Psalm 103C almost never made to the Trinity Psalter Hymnal because of the, the copyright. And they came up with this different melody. They found this different melody and then it made it uh, into the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. As a result, we can really sing uh, to the Lord beautifully. So Psalm 103. Let's see. Uh, we are going to re- we are not going to read the whole thing, and then we are going to focus on some uh, some of the points of the Psalm 103 in the sermon. Psalm 103 a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His Holy Name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your mouth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his act to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities for as the heavens are high above the earth so great is his mercy toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has, has he removed our transgressions from us as a father pities his children so the lord pities those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over, and it is gone, and his place remembers remembers it. No more. We'll stop right there. But it's fair to read one more verse. verse because it continues, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting, everlasting, on those who fear him, and his righteousness, to childrens, to children. In that verse, you can see a little contrast. The man... Like a grass, flower, wind blows. But because you're dust to dust, you return. Whereas the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, prayer catechism, the catechism says, Lord's Day 45, prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. There's a saying that if you don't pray, you're not a Christian. The Bible is full of many prayers of many people. Psalms are a good example. Collection of prayers, I would say. Prayers in the form of poetry and songs. And you might wonder, why do you say, Pastor, that Psalms are prayers? If you can turn quickly to Psalm 72 with me. At the end, you see the Psalm 20, uh, sorry, 72, it says a Psalm of Solomon in the title. But at the end of Psalm 72, it says, The prayers of David the son of Jesse, are ended. The prayer of David, it says, at the end of Psalm 72. Clearly, it talks about Psalm 72. Give a wisdom. Or what does it say? In the, so it says, Give the king your judgment, O God, and your righteousness to king's son. Well, it is clearly talks about a psalm. Prayer. Psalm, psalm 72 was about was the last psalm of David. At the same time again, the Holy Spirit calls the psalm as prayer of David. So there are many prayers written in the Bible, prayers uh, of many saints. And the fact that the Bible contains many prayers of many people, especially throughout the Psalms, tells us how important prayers are to Christians. Whenever we read the Psalms, we read about people crying out to the Lord, people giving thanks to the Lord. And David did that many times. Also David, in this Psalm, blessed the name of the Lord. Prayer, the most important part when it comes to expressing our thanksgiving to the Lord, the most important part in a Christian life. Our psalm today begins with the word, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The same expression is found in other places. Uh, Psalm 113, right? Psalm 34, bless the Lord. The same expression is also found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Lord talks about what the people of Israel had to do when they entered the land of Canaan. And the Lord said this, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God. you shall praise the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God by not keeping His commandment. Do you know the difference between the lifestyle when people of Israel were in desert and entered? into the land of Canaan they had significant shift of the lifestyle when they came from the wilderness versus when they settled in the promised land. Of course you say of course desert is dry and the promised land had rivers and You can plant and so on. Well, again, when they were in the desert, because they couldn't grow anything, they had to totally rely on God every single day. God sent manna every day. They had to gather them every day except Sabbath. So a day before Sabbath, Friday, that would be Friday, they would gather double portion because God did not send manna on the Sabbath so that they may keep the Sabbath holy, that they may rest. So every single day they had to look up in heaven and they, they had to expect the heavenly bread to fall. But as soon as they crossed the Jordan, the river, manna stopped. As they settled, settled in, they had to work. They had to plow. They had to plant. They had to grow cattle, sheep, Goats. They had to feed them. They had to do chores. They had to be busy. And then the Lord, of course, anticipated this, that his people will become proud. How? Because they would do everything. They didn't have to look in heaven. And they would see the field that they worked on. They would say, this is my work. I was so busy. This is my accomplishment. So as they had eaten and satisfied, they fell into sin of hubris, pride, and saying, this is my accomplishment. And then they forgot about the Lord's blessings, how the Lord worked and gave rain and time and even strength to work on the field. Even the promise, honor your father and your, your mother, that you may live long in the land that I give to you. The land that he gives, they forgot. That's why the Lord gave this specific command to bless the Lord. Not to bless yourself. Not to take a pride in your own property or your busyness or your own accomplishment. You take a pause And quietly pray and recognize his accomplishment. That is a little summary of Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you have eaten and are full, and you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold are multiplied, that you have multiplied, listen to this, when your heart is lifted up, What does that mean? When your heart is lifted up. It's an expression that you take pride. And you forget the Lord your God who delivered you from the slavery, from the house of bondage. Make sure you don't forget His grace. It's in uh, Psalm 103, isn't it? Blessed, O Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Don't give an excuse that you're busy with this and busy with that. Because even that busyness is a blessing from the Lord. You pause and you reflect, meditate on his word and his commandments. And you humbly bless the Lord your God. In our federation, we have a good practice. Every spring, we come as a congregation and have this special service called prayer day service. The consistory calls the congregation to worship on Sunday, twice on Sunday. Also, but both also, the consistory calls people to come together to bless the name of the Lord in the prayer day service. Psalm 34. Sorry, yeah, 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. Before you plant crops, before you ask the Lord to bless your labor, So before you plant the crops or fix your equipments or fix your car or ready to go to work, you ask the Lord bless bless your labor. And this does not only apply to your works or only about agricultural activities. Some people think that the prayer day service is due to agricultural uh, culture. No, not only that, but we also ask the Lord to bless our families and schools and the congregation and all the activities of our church. We begin our important activities or events with prayer. So that's why in our church, United Reformed Church, uh, when we were established, our fathers recognized the importance of a prayer The prayer is so important to the point that we even uh, carved that, mentioned that in our church order. The church order, when it speaks of duties of office bearers, the first thing that comes up is continuing in prayer. You You may think, well, you may ask, oh, what do ministers do? Is he busy or is he working more than I do? What does he do? Preparing a sermon? Visit people? Well, Church Order says, The duties belonging to the office of minister of the word consist of first, continuing in prayer. Very important. Very important. More than the busyness of any work. And then it goes, And in the ministry of word, administering sacrament and catechizing the youth. Bless the name of the Lord all the time. Psalm 34. Also, Article 14 of our church order says the duties belonging to the office of elders consist of first continuing in prayer. Well, when people ask, What do elders do? Well, they come for home visit and they have a sip of coffee. They teach Sunday schools, occasion occasion in a catechism class and lead a Bible study. But yet our church order says, first, continue in prayer. Very important. Don't forget to bless the name of the Lord. So here is the theme and the points. Psalm 103, the reason why David blessed the Lord, first, because he forgave our iniquities, and second, He remembers our frames. Well, I already mentioned that just before that. That Psalms are filled with many prayers. We're not going to going, going to go through every single verse of Psalm 13. It's really rich, but at least let us taste and see how merciful the Lord is which gives us more motivation to pray, to bless the name of the Lord. So he begins like this. Bless the name, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is in me. Everything, my body, my soul, my brain, my finger, my toes, everything within me, bless the name of the Lord. He Created me. Oh, he doesn't say that, but that's obvious. So when you say someone blessed uh, someone, you would think usually someone who is here, a higher position, giving blessing to someone who is in a lower position, uh, such as master to the servant. So you, we may think this expression "bless the Lord" does not make sense because obviously Lord is up there, and we are here. But when, but when David said. Bless the Lord. It does not mean that he is higher than God, that he is going to pour his blessing upon God. No. The expression blessed, to bless, is simply, can be translated as praise. Or we can be understood as opposite concept of curse. These days, many people do not cherish the name of the Lord or the name of Christ in this nation. But we as Christians, we value the name of the Lord, the holy name. We show reverence to the name of the Lord. We bless the name of the Lord. We praise the name of the Lord. So we can understand this expression as praise the name of the Lord. There's another expression. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So one of the reasons why David blessed the Lord or praise the Lord is verse 3. He forgives all all your iniquities, all our iniquities. He goes further. He heals all your diseases and He rescues from the pit. He redeems your life from destruction. And then David also goes further and explains how merciful and how forgiving the Lord is. Verse 5, Who satisfies your mouth with good things, Let's cross reference again, Deuteronomy 8, when you're eaten and satisfied. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, uh, Verse 6 executes righteousness, justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his his ways, he gave revelation to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. That his will is not only for the Moses, but his covenant God extended, his mercy extended to the children of Israel. The Lord, verse eight, "The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep his anger forever." Slow to anger. He will not keep his anger forever. Do you like to have a father who is so slow to anger? Or do you like to have a father who is quick to blast out his frustrations? Would you like to have a father who is quick to show mercy? Or or would you like to have a father who yells at you you all the time? David describes God as a tender-hearted father. Who is quick to forgiving, quick to forgive his returning children. Let us appreciate this poetic expression starting from verse eleven. As f- for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Cross-reference. Psalm fifty seven ten. Your mercy reaches unto heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Isaiah 55, verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, it's beyond our beyond our imagination. That we cannot even fathom how gracious the Lord is. The heavens, think about it. The heavens, where the, all the stars are, the highest place that you can even imagine, where we cannot reach. By describing God's mercy with heavens, which is the highest place we can ever conceive, so is the Lord's mercy. As great as the height of heaven. You may think the stars are not reachable. You may think that we are not able to make a trip to the moon or stars. It's too far away. But the most important thing about this expression is that this mercy of God, the great mercy of God is yours his mercy is not just a foreign concept that you see just like you're watching a star oh there's a star no big deal it's too far away no this mercy which is great as the height of heaven he wants to show to you that he wants to appreciate because that is yours So great is His mercy, verse 11, toward those who fear Him. He wants to show the mercy to you, to give it to you. Just as a father, despite uh, the repetitive, repetitive failures of his son, just like a father wants to show his son the utmost love, God pities those who fear Him. Verse 13, Now look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. So first, height. How great the love of God is. East and west. The implication of that term east and west is, to, is there to show us how far the Lord removed our sins from us. And there are many explanation, explanations on this expression. Somebody, I remember somebody um, explaining like this. If you look at the globe, right, the whole earth, it rotates sideways. So if you travel, let's say your cousin in the Netherlands and you live in Canada. Uh, if you travel, let's say you give a call. Let's go to north together, and we'll meet at one point, and then you will end up meeting in the North Pole because the Earth rotates in the sideways. If you both travel to south, you will meet each other in the, uh, at the South Pole. But if you travel to each other east and west, you say you go east, I'll go east. You will never meet, or vice. Versa. This is because there's no focal point, so to speak, like a North Pole and South Pole. So some people use this passage to prove that people back then in the Bible times, they knew the earth was not flat, but earth was round. So this is one of the most popular explanations on this verse. However, I think there is a better explanation. I mean, the previous one that I mentioned is maybe a good one, but personally, I don't think it's the best one. Why? Because I believe that when David wrote this psalm, he was not really thinking about east and west uh, versus north and south that you cannot meet in the east and west because the earth was globe. Maybe he understood that way, but I don't think he was thinking it that way. The expression east and west is very intentional. And then you have to understand this from, we say, redemptive historical point of view. You see, the word east and west is used in the book of Moses many times. For instance, when the tabernacle was built, the entrance was, was, was of the tabernacle was built to face east. The tabernacle had three parts: from the west to east, the holy of holies, and the holy place, and the outer court. From to west to east, there's there's this procession from holy to unholy. In other words, when the priest came from outer court from east. To the west, to the holy of holies, once a year, there is this concept of procession. That further, you go to the west, you are going to going, uh, you're drawing near to the presence of holy God. So this design, west to east, in the tabernacle, was no coincidence, because it represented the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out toward east. The cherubims were stationed on the east side of the garden. When Cain killed his brother Abel, he was exiled to the east. According to Leviticus chapter 1, some parts of the burnt offering was to be thrown to the east side of the altar. So the term east was a symbol of exile and outcast. And I believe, I wonder if the Babylonian exile also has something to do with this concept because the people of Judah had to go all the way to Babylon, which was east of Jerusalem. So you can imagine Daniel, when, they, when he prayed daily, bless the name of the Lord, he would face to the west, to Jerusalem, and he fell down and, and prayed. Ezekiel 43, uh, verse 2 to th- Five uh, And when the, when the people of Israel returned from the exile, they traveled to west to the land of Israel. in that journey, the Lord Himself traveled with them. Now, the, all the Old Testament practices, especially the tabernacle rituals, are meant to be a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, the ultimate high priest. Again, in the worship service. In the Old Testament, in, this, in the tabernacle, the priest would proceed from east to the west, and also from west to the east, as a mediator between God and His people. David was fully aware of this, because he wanted to build the temple, the same structure, using the same structure as a tabernacle. Therefore, he used this expression, east and then west. And we see it clearly, that remembering all this, we can see from verse 12, we can see the picture of Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who took all our iniquities and he was banished from God's holy presence. If you borrow the language of tabernacle, symbolically from west to the east he was heavily punished by the lord the lord turned away his face when he was crucified our catechism also describes that as he was buried he descended into hell not that he physically went into the hell that he fully received god's wrath upon himself so this expression, he removed our transgression as far as east is from the west. Right? Notice that it doesn't say as far as the west is from the east. No, east from the west. It comes to us graphically as remember our Lord Jesus Christ he's taking our iniquities and banished from the very presence of God. We are the one. We're supposed to be cast out of out of the God's presence to the land of exile. But the Lord took all our iniquities. That is the reason why David blessed or praised the name of the Lord. Let's go to the second point because He knows our frames. Another reason, why David blessed. The Lord is because He knows us well. It's like a father who knows his children well. Even every father knows their children and their weaknesses. Our Heavenly Father knows our weaknesses very well. Look at the beautiful expression in verse 14, verse 13, and verse 14. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he goes on, like a grass, like a flower. Wind passes over, it is gone, but the Lord's mercy endures forever. The Lord knows how feeble, how fragile our frames are. All this, every single word that is chosen by David is very intentional. Our frame, our frame. When we were conceived, Psalm 139, it says, We are wonderfully and fearfully made. We were needed in mother's womb. Our frames were built in mother's womb. The Lord knows that. He remembers all of that. The Lord remembers how Adam was created. He breathed in, He breathed His breath, soul, spirit, into a form, the dust, made out of dust. And the expression, He remembers that we are dust. Reminds us of the story of Adam and Eve. When they sinned, God said, For dust you are, to dust you shall return. So even when God cursed man. He still remembered how fragile man is. His mercy was far beyond his anger that he gave the promise of salvation. I will put enmity between you and women, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows. The question is, do you? Do you know that you are dust? See, when the Lord looked at his people, his sheep, he sees how fragile we are, how foolish we are. Isaiah said, we are all like a sheep. He knew very well that our frames cannot possibly sustain the terrible wrath and the curse of God. That is why God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bear the punishment for our sins because He, by divine power, can sustain God's full wrath upon Himself. Of course, it was shameful, it was a painful, it was excruciating, Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ, true man and true God, he could sustain the weight of God's wrath for us. Our confession explains that in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 5 and Lord's Day 6. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One is a true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures. Lord's Day 6. The mediator, Jesus Christ, had to be true God, Because so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore us righteousness and life. So, this is what happened God looked at mankind from heaven, Psalm 14. And then realize there is no one righteous, no one worthy. Romans 3. Seeing that mankind filled with filth, sin, corruption. And he is about to strike the whole human race with his righteous judgment, with eternal death. And he remembered our frame. He's about to strike with his hand. Yet, he remembered that we will crumble because we are dust. So instead of striking us, he struck his own son. This is portrayed in a different language in a different prophet. Zechariah chapter 7. Instead of striking sheep he struck the shepherd Zechariah 7 strike the shepherd then the sheep will be scattered the lord knew the hour frame the lord still knows the hour frame that is why the apostle paul said 1 Corinthians 1.13, god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He knows that you are dust. Before we go through difficult time and trials and challenges, the Lord assures us that He knows our limits. The question is, do we know our limits? Do we know that our neighbors and myself have limits? The Lord knows your frame. That's why He shows mercy. Do we know our frame, that we are dust? Then the application is very simple. that makes us humble. When we have a discussion with one another, is something that we have to remember: that we are dust consist of weak frames. Just as the Lord dealt with us gently, of course, the Lord expects us to deal with, other, with each other with kindness and with the gentleness because we are dust. And most of all, again, let us not forget. Let us not forget to bless the name of the Lord, bless the name of Jesus Christ who took our place because our frames cannot sustain the judgment of God.